it all starts with humility. Everything that I've learned about leadership, whether it's fatherhood, being a husband, being a, a fullback, um, if if you're not humble, you don't have a chance to be happy in this life. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. If you're new, thanks for joining us. Wow, what happened with last week's Simonetta Lean episode was nuts. We make promo videos for all of our guests, and as of this recording, she posted two of them to her Instagram feed, and they got about a million views each. Just crazy to me. I'm very grateful to her for promoting the show and giving it a huge bump in downloads and visibility. If you haven't listened to Simonetta's episode, go check it out, and also please Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you can get these new episodes on your devices every week. Now, all this growth is making us lucky enough to get a guy like today's guest, Heath Evans, 10-year NFL vet, played fullback for the Seattle Seahawks, the Miami Dolphins, a fruitful four-year stint with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick on the New England Patriots, and a two-year outing with the New Orleans Saints, including their Super Bowl winning year in the 2009-2010 season. He is outspoken, articulate, open, just says it like he sees it, which in my opinion makes for a great podcast episode. Last week, I said we'd release this in two parts, but when we went to cut it up, I just feared it would be worse if you had to wait a week to hear the end. So it's all here in this episode. And while we're talking about length of episodes, we've been making them shorter lately. But just so you know, you can listen to these in pieces. Sometimes it's nice to hear a section, mull it over, come back to it the next day, get through some more until you finish it. It's like binging a show on Netflix. There's no law saying you need to listen to this all at once. You can also use our show notes to see sections that we highlight or quotes that you may be interested in and just skip right to them to see if you're digging it and then go back and listen to the whole thing later. Just wanted to make you aware that those exist. We work hard on them. So that's to help you, the listener. And also know that we put links in there so you can go explore for yourself in more depth to see just how many things these incredible guests have accomplished. For now, I'm going to let this one roll so you can hear for yourself how Heath Evans defies so many stereotypes. We laughed, made fun of each other, got deep and real. I think this conversation covers many of the things you'd expect from a former pro football player, but it went so far beyond sports. So if you've never watched a down of football in your life, have no fear. There are lessons about relationships, religion, accountability, and leadership all over it. Here he is, Heath Evans. You and I have been back and forth on the phone since uh, being connected through Bedros Koulian, former yep. guest. Thank you, Bedros, if you're listening. Absolutely, baby. And, and um, you, the other night, I think you said, uh, maybe I misheard, 
you were like the, the skinny kid or the fat kid or the chubby kid oh, yeah. from Florida. The chubby white boy from chubby Palm Beach, white, Florida. Yeah, which yeah. is so hard to believe because you're <laughs> jacked. Like anybody, you're, if you don't know Heath, but he's sitting here in front of me and he's like a, a mountain of a man. Like there's no fat. He's <laughs> He could like, you know, strangle me in an instant. So to, to puberty's, think a, show, puberty's a hell of a drug. So when, <laughs> when did you, when did you, um, I'm going to go like this a little bit. When did you like, like start training? When did you start being aware of your body? At four. At four. I mean, I I like, but I I remember like it was yesterday and my dad's lawyer was in our house and our little like two bedroom, you know, condo my dad built for us and me and my sister shared a room and it was, it was so small and so tiny, but, um, you know, his name was Mr. Krantz and he's like, what do you want to do little Heath when you grow up? I was like, oh, I'm going to play in the NFL. And I said it like it was that. At four. At four. And I remember him looking to my dad. And this is like my first like conscious, rememberable thought of uh, of someone kind of doubting what I kind of feel like God just put in me from a youngster. And I remember him looking to my dad and be like, and he played uh, college football D1 at Northwestern. And I remember Your dad at, did or this no, no, guy no, did? My dad's lawyer. And, uh, and he looked at my dad. He's like, yeah, the, the, the kid doesn't have a clue how hard it is to make it. And I was four and any of my teachers will tell you, I'm like the poster child ADD. How I remember that, I don't know. I think it was like that first kind of heart wound of like, oh, like you're trying to squash what, what, what I, what I'm feeling and what I'm dreaming of. And and I obviously wasn't thinking about it at four, but now I look back and I remember how it triggered something in me at four years old. So wow, that's cool. um, the weight training stuff. Um, about eight or nine, dad and I, he started letting me play around with it a little bit, always had a lot of natural strength and he'd kind of bring me out. He would train a bunch of these high school guys in his, in his high school youth group at the church that he led. And, um, you know, they'd be 14, 15, he'd bring me out in the garage and let me bench press more than them just to tick them off. So they'd work out harder. So you were always strong, but you were like chubby, but yeah, strong. I, I was, I was the kid that was in pop Warner football that was always playing with the kids two years older and I was still struggling to make weight. So like, say the weight limit was like 95 pounds. My my pops and I would be out running on a Saturday morning before my game in a trash bag in South Florida heat, you know, with gum in my mouth, spitting and spitting and spitting, trying to sweat off weight so I could play with the kids that were two years older than me. I, there was no way I was going to make the weight limit for the kids my age. Um, and then um, through a lot of nastiness and a lot of hard work and a lot of being told no, 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 as you can relate to, um, you know, puberty came along. I asked for help from the right people that gave me good advice. I got fast and my dad knew how to make me strong and the rest was history. Who were those right people? Coaches? Um, actually, no. Uh, I did have some great coaches. My my high school coach um, wasn't the best football coach. He'd never, he'd never claimed to be. Um, but it's funny, if there's anything that Bill Belichick teaches, it's always about humility and the leaders are the ones that need to lead by serving others. Leaders do all the work so everyone else can kind of follow in line and learn that type of servant-hearted leadership. Well, so I got that from 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 from mom and dad, yes, at home, but also my my high school football coach. Uh, my senior year, I was the one cleaning up after practice. I was the one carrying the Gatorade coolers, and I was one of the best players in the state of Florida. He had me serving others, teaching me to be the type of leader that really have lasting impact. Um, the guy that I asked in eighth grade, um, eighth grade spring football, um, I'd always kind of played a big running back or a big quarterback position, but I wasn't, you know, I was just, I was more athletic, but I was still kind of slow and chubby. Yeah. And they moved me to offensive line in that spring after my eighth grade year. And I was like, oh, heck no, I'm not 
I'm no offensive lineman. So guard or tackle. I, I, I don't even remember because yeah. in my head, it didn't even happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but we had this guy named Ken Stone at, at our church in South Florida in West Palm Beach, Florida. And um, his son, uh, Kyle Stone, we were best friends. Kyle was a year younger than me. I went to Ken. Ken played 11 years in the NFL, heck of a safety, um, all kinds of stats. Everything. Like, how, how do I get fast? I'll do whatever you tell me to do. How do I get fast? Well, he gave me a plan and my mom and dad will vouch for me if they were sitting right here every single day, six days a week that summer, I did it. I would run that two miles and it was like a sprint. And I, I, when I first started, I couldn't do it, but he had told me, he's like, I want you to get two miles in under 12 minutes. And I'm like, what? I'm like, this fat boy can't run a mile in eight minutes, much less two in 12. Yeah. Well, by the end of the summer, I had that two miles in under 12 minutes. I'd come back, I'd get a little rest after that two miles. I'd run 10 forties and sprints. I'd sprint full recover, sprint full recover on concrete out in front of the house. And then I would do this, a little agility tree that he gave me in six days a week, that whole summer. And I went from about, um, you know, 158 pounds to 161 pounds and completely rearranged my body. Um, and then went back for my freshman year. Um, we'll just put it this way. They left me on JV for two weeks and then they moved me to varsity, uh, as their starting tailback at 14 years old. And, wow. and, Three months prior, I wasn't good enough to be the JV running back. They were moving me to offensive line. Wow. So, um, what, were, what were you running a forty in? Did well, you back then, I mean, my freshman year. Listen, the kids these days, like I run a four four, and then you know, I'm like, you want to race? Yeah. And then I, I beat them in the ten yard by about two yards. I'm like, no, 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 you run about a five two. Your high school coach is lying to you. Yeah. I was a legitimate probably four nine forty when you know my freshman year, um, and then. Through a lot of grit and a lot of hard work and that same type of repetitive work, um, I got really fast. When I came out in the combine, I was 253, just under six feet tall, ran four, five, six at the combine. Holy and God. then on my pro day, I weighed in at 247 and hit four, four, six and four, four, two. Those are some interesting stories too, but, uh, maybe, maybe another time. Wow. Yeah. We'll have uh, to talk. Cause I, you know, I'm sure half of my listeners will know what you're talking about. Half of them will have no idea. <laughs> and, but I, I would like to hear it l- yeah. later on, but yeah, just, just, if you're listening, yeah, those are pretty crazy numbers. And what, like, how many times are you putting up? Like, what is it? 225 I, yeah. to have you guys do? 225. I did it 31 times. Um, that was back when the combine where they could actually like test your manhood. Now every year, you know, you got kids come out. Oh, he asked me a personal question and my feelings were hurt. And then some kill, some coach gets in trouble for trying to figure out you're going to invest millions of dollars in these kids and you can't even ask them whatever questions you want. And I know that might tick people off, but they literally didn't feed us breakfast that morning. They woke us up early. They usher us through like this cattle call of like poking and prodding on us. No food, no nothing. And then I didn't even get to warm up with 135 or 185. Just threw me right it's under 225. Right knocked out 31 reps. I wanted to get a few more, but that was, that was the second best, um, that year for the running back class. So listen, any, anything over 20, 25 is really good. Um, I just always, my goals are always a little bit higher than most. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of times already, you've talked about church. You talked about your dad did a youth group. What was the, uh, was it non-denominational Christian or what was your religion growing up? I, I grew up in a home where like, we never wanted to be labeled. Like yeah. my dad, if he was sitting here and I've kind of like, uh, I would mimic him. He'd say, I- I'm a screw up that believes the Bible and, and Jesus saved me. Cause I was an absolute mess. And so, um, you know, I, my, my parents have always worked hard to let their lives, um, live things out that their mouth didn't have to speak and they've had great impact. But, uh, the best thing about my mom and dad is, um, even in the world standards, they were once the hellions. They were the people that never thought you'd amount to anything. And my dad's story coming out of the Marines and just being an over-aggressive 
jerk and picking fights for no reason and just uh, honestly being everything that you would hate in a man and just arrogant and insecure. Um, and these two people are just beautiful, loving, godly people. And whether you believe in Jesus, whether you have any type of religious background, people just, they're attracted to mom and dad. Yeah. And um, it's, they love people. And, and that's what they try to bend their life around is just, they know Jesus love them and they want to love people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I, you know, I, I haven't, I, I have actually somebody coming out that it'll be released this Friday, who is a pro soccer player, uh, became a pastor. And and so with him, we kind of, we spoke specifically about his religion, but I, what I've found sitting down with all these high achievers is that it's, it's not always a, a religion, but there's a, there's a faith and there's a spirituality. And I, I find for myself, for what I do, and I've found it with almost every guest, there's, there's some higher power. There's some yeah. purpose. There's something because you can't do, I don't think you could do what I do without some, some kind of grander vision or something. I don't think you could do what you do. I mean, like if you think about, you, you know, what your profession was, you yeah. know, 10 years, <laughs> 10 years in the NFL. Yep. Yeah. I mean, just like the bone crushing and then, you know, college before that high school before that. Yeah. It's uh it's amazing. You got to have some kind of faith. Well, and I think you can look at it from a lot of different ways, but I always look at it from just simplistic facts. I've been around some of the wealthiest people in the world that, you know, they made their first million and then they made their hundred million and they got the Ferrari and the Ferrari didn't satisfy them. And then they bought another company and the company didn't satisfy them. And then they bought the jet and the jet didn't satisfy them. And they were married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And they were still out womanizing and the women didn't satisfy them. And then, you know, Oh, we'll, we'll leave this business and we're going to go buy hotels and we're going to do this. And you get the jet, then I want the yacht. And then you get the yacht and then they get to the mountaintop of human performance and they're utterly and completely miserable. And, um, I've always told people, I just, I firmly believe, and I have been um, that guy because of my own choices, decisions, and then bad consequences that came from those choices and decisions that has been left in the gutter of life at times based on my own moral decision-making because I was trying to do life on my own. And when we live for me, 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 it is the most miserable place in the world. And, and I'll probably throughout this conversation, I'm going to kind of point back to the Patriots in a lot of ways because... If you have an ounce of me in you, you will not play for that coach and you will not be a part of that organization because it will never be about an individual on any level. And I ultimately think that... Oh, if you... Not, yeah, not you, he, yeah, if you have well, an ounce if, of me, whoever, yeah, yeah, like, of if, ego, if, well, yeah, you, Belichick will me not... First, you will know, not, any yeah. type, but, it, but guess it, I don't care if it would have been Randy Moss or Tom Brady or there's all these high-priced free agents that these teams sign every year. Bill's like, not a chance. I wouldn't pay him a dollar. Matter of fact, they couldn't pay me to come here and play because he knows what destroys a team. And it's ultimately what destroys a soul. Like when you live for self-satisfaction, no amount of money makes you put your head on a pillow at night. And, and we live in this, even this space now where people are taking a lot of what are biblical principles, like the attitude of gratitude. And I, I want to make millions to give it away. All great things. But at the end of the day, um, even that, I'm not sure it's going to satisfy souls the way people want it to, you know? And so, um, I just believe that we've all got this God-sized hole in our heart and he made us, he created us to love us, to bless us. Um, and, um, 
my arrogance has gotten in the way of a lot of my decision-making at times that I haven't been able to reap the full benefits of, of a life that, that God designed for me. But the great thing about the Christian faith is, is the grace and mercy never runs out if you're willing to to ask for the, the grace and mercy, if you're willing to humble yourself and, and say, man, I don't have it figured out. And I'm, I'm not the God of my life because I don't know what tomorrow offers. I never thought the NFL network would fire me. I never thought a former friend would accuse me of sexual harassment. I, all these things, we have absolutely no control in this life. And yet we want to be this arrogant. I got it all together. You know, I mean, it's a business is, is one decision from crumbling. I don't care if it's a hundred million or five billions. No one has the security that we think our wealth and our position of power offers us. And um, I'll shut up now, but those are one things that I'm passionate no, about because I've been with the Deion Sanders that wins the Super Bowl. And then literally he's like, oh, Matt, he, he would if, if he was sitting with you 20 years ago, he's like, I, I would have thought that that, that was the, the pinnacle that was going to make me happy. Thinks about driving his Lambo off a mountaintop that night because it was the loneliest, most miserable night of his life. Tom Brady, when I got to New England in 05, he had just done a 60 Minutes interview where he says, man, if money and women are Super Bowl rings, all this world has to offer me, I'm in trouble because I'm not happy. You know, the beast just won his sixth, you know, um, and his still famous answer would be, what's your favorite ring? He's going to tell you the next one, you <laughs> know, because this stuff just doesn't satisfy. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to a great, you know, I'm I'm not a particular Patriots fan, but you got to take your, Hater. your hats. Oh, my bad. <laughs> my, did I say that out loud? My bad, Matthew. <laughs> Um, no, you gotta, you gotta take your hat off to the guy and to the whole organization. And, and I, I heard him on, um, actually Oprah did like a two part interview with him. I don't know if you heard it, but very, very impressed with how just work ethic focus, where his values are. Yes. Um, and ironically, and I, I, I wrote it down cause I wanted to just mention it because my, my son, who's only 11, I was <laughs> like, uh, you know, I said, we're, I'm going to have a, a Super Bowl champion here. And, uh, I said, he, he's, and I showed him a picture of you yeah. and he's like, he was a Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let like, him in the house, dad. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I hate Tom Brady. I said, why do you hate Tom Brady? He said, he, he's a cheater. And I said, oh, well, man. I don't know. So what, what's your whole take on that? Because it's like, I mean, and we don't have to go into no, a, let's whole, do it. a whole, I don't need to go into a whole yeah. thing about that, but that's something where, you know, it, it relates to something in your story of, um, you know, hearsay or trajectory, or I don't know what the, what the word is actually. That's not the right. Word. I know what it is, but, but I'm not going to help you because I want you to look bad on your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've exposed me I, to no, the I'm idiot that I am. Not a um, chance. No, but you, but, but. Uh, there's something there too, where it's like, where there's smoke, there's fire. And now my son who's 11 is saying yeah. that about Tom Brady. And I don't, you know, I don't know what the facts were or yeah. what happened, but what was your take on that whole inflate gate situation? Here's what's sad. We live in a day and age where everyone has a voice now because of social media and, and news travels fast. Um, let's not get into who's spreading fake news, but I'll tell you this. We no longer know the difference between a rumor and a reputation. If, if Tom Brady was sitting in this chair right next to him or next to me, you would leave this, this office in the next 60 minutes and you would say one thing. That's the most humble, kind, loving superstar I've ever seen in my life. And I know in your business and in my business, we're around a lot of prima donna jerks, male and female, that think because they have a little bit more talent that they're special, they should be treated special. Tommy Brady is one of the greatest souls I've ever been around, period, the end. When it comes to, let's go back to Spygate first, because I always want to address um, with full honesty and transparency. Um, the team knew nothing about it. Bill Belichick took a rule that talked about not being able to film something in the course of a game and then use it in that game. 
So the rule was very specific. You can't film something and then use it in that game, which to this day, Bill will tell you he never did. Um, the inside traders kind of scoop on all that deal. It was something that was practiced all throughout the NFL. And a lot of the coaches that came out so hard against Bill Belichick were the ones doing it themselves. themselves. The typical, typical hypocritical nature of the world we live in, you know? Um, But I, I, I was proud to play for Bill Belichick that day. I remember the team meeting after we just destroyed the jets and Eric Mangini week one of 2007. Um, He came in, took full responsibility, said, none of you guys knew anything about this. This was my decision. Mr. Kraft, I'm so sorry for embarrassing you, your brand, your name, and this team. It won't happen again. We never mentioned it as a team ever again. It was never a distraction. We went on and went 18-1. and The Giants beat us. They were a better team that day. But the way that he handled with full transparency and honesty is something that I always have the utmost respect for. Took it on the chest because it was his decision. Never let it distract us. Great leader in every way, shape, or form. Deflate gate. This was a two, if I, it's been years now, but I believe it was 217 pages that the NFL released about this nonsense. Um, anyone that's ever been in an NFL locker room, whether you're a trainer, a player, a coach, um, these quarterbacks spend all week prepping these footballs. When that football comes out of the bag from Wilson, it's oily and greasy. You can't even pick it up. The trainers, excuse me, the equipment managers will spend all week getting scuffing it, breaking it in, getting it just the way Brady wants it. And I mean perfect. Air pressure, temperature, the texture of the ball. Does he want grass on the laces? Does he want dirt? Like, what's that feel? All right. And so take all that into mind. And then you think you're going to let some random ball boy take 12 footballs, all right, 12, and pop into a bathroom for 54 seconds with some random needle now, he spent five days prepping them to, to 12.2, 12.6, whatever it is, just perfect air pressure, all inside the rules that the, the NFL officials had already checked. And then you're going to go in 54 seconds, some, some random Joe Blow with a needle and take 12 footballs because he's going to have to throw all 12 of them. It's not like he's going to do two or three, you know, and go tss, 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 tss. one's going to be one pound less. One's going to be a half a pound less. One's going to be 0.3 less. It is the most for the the, the people that know that aren't haters, it's the dumbest, most absurd thing in the world. Now, here's where the NFL is just full of crap. And um, I'm going to try to step back because I've been through, um, I've been to hell and back with the NFL and their lack of character. Um, and, um, but in the sense of, of Tom Brady, um, they released that report. And if you read the report, you could see the discrepancies all throughout it. Um, they measured the footballs with a different pump. So, A, the Colts, knowing anything, they pick up a ball and say, oh, it felt different. A half a pound of pressure in a football is nothing. Like, I don't care how Bill Nye, the science guy that weighed in on all that stuff, complete moron. What, what happens to your tires here in the Palisades when it drops 15 degrees at night? The next morning you wake up and on your tire monitor, it says, oh, you got low air pressure. So you take a ball, you measure it at 72 degrees in the locker room, and then you take it out to where it's 30 degrees. Two and a half hours later, you're going to lose some air pressure. And it was pretty consistently. They measured three of the four Colts balls. Three of the four Colts balls um, were under air pressure as well. You never saw that. It was in the report, but it was never covered by the media because it's bullet point media. We live in a lazy journalistic day and age. Um, The second thing that I want to point out is that um, Brady not turning over a cell phone. Lie. He turned over a cell phone, cooperated everything, text, emails, everything. They gave it back to him. Three months later, they come back and want his cell phone back again. Who's his wife? Giselle. 
yeah. his kids, give him one picture to put on the front of People magazine for what, maybe a million dollars? I don't know. He destroys all his cell phones. He had turned over his cell phone. Three months, they come back asking for it again. He's like, I don't have that cell phone. He changes his number periodically throughout the year. I have an email for him. That's how I connect him because he's always changing it because he's Tom freaking Brady. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of guys in your world that change their number quite frequently too. So I could go on for days because I defended him. I defended Bill. I defended the honor of the Patriots team because that was a scam. And heck, I was a part of um, Bounty Gate in New Orleans too. That, yeah. that nonsense. The league is the league. And um, that's that's that. And, I, and I've got my own beef that we're going through the legal process with him for. And, and that's a whole nother issue. So, well, that's a whole conversation for us yeah. to have afterward about the Saints, because yeah. I, I interviewed Kimmy Culp, who was a producer of Gleason, yes. about Steve Gleason. Oh. I, I imagine you awesome know him. Awesome human and, being. But, we, we, you know, that's a whole other thing. But if you're listening, you should uh, go check out that episode. It was early on with Kimmy Culp, and what an amazing documentary that is about a former New Orleans Saint. Um, so you are, you're, you're, so articulate and and you're fired up about the NFL. I mean, it's it's um, it's amazing to to see because it was uh, this is your life. Yeah. You know, this the football is your life, and you went and you're an analyst uh, after after you played played for ten years, um, yep. won a Super Bowl. With the Patriots, um, with the Saints, I had eighteen and one on that blemish record oh, with the with Pats. The, oh, yeah. oh, oh, so, oh, oh, so you were there two thousand eight with the, against the Giants. Uh, yep. That, yeah, that Real. was. We're not talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I, I guess where I'm, you know, I'm sitting across from you, and I'm just thinking about. I don't know uh, what's next for you in terms of, or what you're working on right now in terms of business, but I hear you speak. I hear you speak about leadership. I hear you speak about discipline, goal setting. And I just I just go, this guy is going to do something of substantial meaning. Well, thank you. Yeah, you I, just I it's so. it's just it's it's just a oozing from you. Yeah. Uh a, a humility. Um we spoke about this. I told you I I uh, looked at you, and we don't have to go into it. I'm going to put it in the show notes for people to watch. But you had this uh, really great clip about the kneeling for the national anthem, yeah. and what I what I liked about it. And we don't have to cover the whole thing, but what I really liked about it, and you exhibit it here, is a real intelligence, a real point of view, but a humility about that point of view. Yeah. You don't seem to me. Uh, to be someone who's uh, you, you're you're not a shrinking violet. You're going to say what you think, right. but you are. I from from that clip that I saw, you're really willing to listen to the other side, and that's that's kind of what I feel like our whole country needs right now. It's like everybody's like beating their chest and saying, "This is what we need. This is what we need." It's like every, have everybody take a beat, listen to the other side, try to understand them. That's what we do as actors. We go, how do I understand this character, even yeah. if they're a killer? How do I understand what's their point of view? And you have that humility. So I'm, I'm just curious as to like wh where your head is right now in terms of uh, where your life is is going. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, it's three words: loving, accepting, and forgiving. And, um, and, and I obviously come about that from a, a biblical worldview and, and does anyone listen to me? Um, <laughs> the great thing about the Bible is it's full of a bunch of screw ups, people that were murderers, adulterers, arrogant jerks, you know, 
prostitutes that were mentioned in the hall of faith, women that were the sleaziest of all sleaziest that God's like, oh, this is one of the best women ever because she turned in faith. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things. So listen, I I lost a marriage um, after 10 plus years because of moral failures, you know? And, And now I always tell people, man, for 10 years, Matt, I was husband of the decade, but somewhere along the way, I got bitter and, and hurt and resentful. And then I blew my knee out in the middle of our Super Bowl year uh, with the Saints. And then, you know, I just got selfish. And then I, I, I was getting somewhat beat down at work because I couldn't be a part of that emotionally. I was kind of getting beat down at home because of just different things that, that honestly weren't my ex-wife's fault. She was a, an abuse victim from a young girl, just had a rough life and she didn't she was doing the best she could, but it was constant rejection for me. And so I end up stepping into mistakes. And so I think if there's a humility that comes from me, it comes just because I, I know I ultimately had a God that said, hey, you're a screw up, but guess what? I've got nothing but love and grace, grace and mercy for you. And that's what I want to offer to people. So the the players in the middle of this NFL national anthem debate, um, I would assume you're trying to step in the shoes of, of a murder character that you're trying to portray on, on a, on a screen. And so you're thinking about, well, how'd the murder character get this way? Okay. Well, maybe he was abused by his dad or, or maybe what was it that, that twisted his emotional makeup to become the abuser, the predator he was. And so when I, when I was talking with Michael Irvin and Deion Sanders and, and, and all these guys up there, um, what I realized was, man, they didn't grow up in West Palm beach, Florida with a mom and dad that were together and, predominantly uh, a church setting. They didn't go to private Christian school. Um, They grew up really different. They grew up without a dad. They grew up with a different message than I grew up. Doesn't make my message true or their message false, but it was, it was a different message. And so they, their DNA has been structured by schools of thought that I would argue that a lot of them are wrong. And and we're starting to see what I'm so proud of the African-American community is that we're starting to see so many people in all the communities drop the victim mentality. We had a black president for eight years. You can accomplish anything you want. And, and there's still some weak-minded people out there that will say, oh, that was just one. It's a blip on the radar. Okay. But if one can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And that mentality, I've been around those beasts in the NFL. James Jones, a wide receiver, grew up on the streets of Fresno City, California, got a D1 scholarship, was couch popping around, found a way to get it done against all odds. Yeah. And so I wanted to listen because ultimately, even though when that was going on, I really wasn't walking my Christian faith out very well. I was in a hurtful place from the divorce. I was really just trying to get through life. And But I'd go to work with the idea of like, I want these guys to know that I love them. And that even if they see different, my dad and his twin brother, every basically Evans fought for this country except for me. You know, I was the weak one that went and played football instead of fighting for my country. You know, yeah. but but I wanted them to know that, like, man, I, I, I'm still going to love you. Like, we can see it different. Right. Um, Mike Silver at the NFL Network, one of the best sports writer there is. We could not be more different. I mean, he is as far left wing as left wing gets. And I am hyper conservative, you know, Um but yet I love the man. He knows I love him. And yeah. even though we would duke it out with all kinds of God talks and, and, you know, player talks, at the end of the day, he knows I would always come to his back no matter what. And so my main goal, and I screw it up a lot because I am, I, I believe if, if I'm going to stand on something and, and be passionate about it, I, I'm going to be pretty doggone sure that, that I'm right. And I want, and I want to help other people with that knowledge. Yeah. A lot of times I'll bow, just bow out. I don't know, but I ultimately want people to feel loved. Because that's the only way, anything that I have to offer them, it's the only way that I'm going to have an, an opportunity to impact them. Um, and it's also the way I want to see my girls. Like, I want them to be like, that's the type of man I want to marry. 
my dad screwed up, but he always owns his mistakes. He's never scared to say he's sorry. And then he always, he'll, he'll, he'll somehow find a way to make, you know, gold out of garbage, you know? Yeah. And, and that's ultimately what I want. That, that national anthem thing was tough though, Matt, because it was, I, I don't understand that thought process. I, I would never kneel for our, for our national anthem, like no matter what it is, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. and so, um, I didn't win anybody over. They didn't win me over. Hopefully all those boys would be like, man, he loves us no matter what. Yeah. 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 And that's sometimes a long answer, but that's a no, no, question. no. Yeah. But, what I, but what I like, it's a, it's a, it's a thoughtful answer. It's an honest answer. And, you know, we, everybody has, you know, there are divided thoughts and perspectives on every issue you can, you can bring up. Yeah. And it, I think, it, as as long as there is a a human respect for people that are on the other side of it, yeah, and and you're you know that's beautiful that you're saying about the silver silver yeah Mike silver Mike silver yeah. you know that that it's like yeah you guys disagree on everything but you love them as a as a human yeah. you know what what are you gonna do I mean you're not gonna agree on everything well, I mean and celebrate the man like I was reading one of his articles that that he wrote you know on Jared Goff after the Super Bowl and Jared's humility and how he kind of just took the loss on his shoulders and I'm like Mike only you could have wrote that and I and I tweeted him back you know or I tweet him like man you have such a gift man I miss you and I love you you know yeah um celebrate people man and then we can divide it like the biggest lie of, of anything is to divide and conquer get people fighting against each other and then you get so emotional you can't see the truth and that's exactly where we're at we have a president that runs his mouth too much he's not kind he's not loving but when you peel back all the the like the the prickly personality like what he's done for the black community in two years is is astounding you know but but because of his rhetoric, they can't even see the truth, you know? And so you're starting to get people that are moving. And so I'm just like, when are we going to, like, people from the right, people from the left, people from this moderate middle, when are we going to quit hating on people? Mm. Like, who's going to be the bigger person that our parents all taught us to be and so-called turn the other cheek? Like, when did we outgrow that? Yeah. In a marriage, it doesn't survive without turning the other cheek. Like, there's always, like, my dad told me, he's like, listen, every relationship, most of them, there's like two ticks and no dog. It's two people sucking each other dry. You wonder why our divorce rate's 50 plus percent. He's like, sometimes you just got to be the dog and let that other person suck you dry, but you'll get more and more energy by being loving and being kind and your tank will never run out, yeah. even though you're getting, you're getting sucked on by all those people, it, but just be loving. And then you, you'll constantly have energy to keep loving people. So talk to me then about when you hurt your knee. You blew your knee out. Yeah. And and you got Whew. you got you you described it as very selfish and um just bitter and yeah. cynical and hardened. What what happened there? Well, what? it's it's I've always listen, even in the process where I'm at now in life, I, I always want to protect and honor my ex-wife. You know, and I always would try to say that she did the best she could. And I mentioned that she was an abuse victim as a little girl. And so our marriage from day one was very tough. And um and from from about three months in, it was it was just one of those things where I had to put on my right way of thinking every day. Like um, I'm I'm choosing to love, and I'm going to sacrifice. And as you know, the Bible teaches you literally lay down your life for that other person. And um, you know, we battled through a lot of stuff together. We tried to get the help that we both needed for the sexual abuse counseling, and ultimately. Um, ushered her into some of that help. And then we started our own nonprofit for seven and a half years and helped hundreds of kids that had been sexually abused. We provided free of charge, um, professional, um, anonymous counseling for them and their family. We did a lot of awesome things out of her pain and, and our pain. Yeah. Um, 
but the marriage was tough and it, and it was, it was a grind in a lot of ways. Um, and when I think the compounding effect of, of always striving and working so hard at home and not really, um, and she would probably tell you the same thing. She probably never really felt accepted for me, you know, and, and, um, and she probably felt rejected for me. I was doing the the best I could to, to love her. And yeah. the, the, the hardest thing about sexual abuse is it, it wounds a soul. And, and a lot of those people, um, that have walked through that type of horrific abuse, just naturally stiff arm people. Cause they don't want to let anyone get close enough to them to wound them again. And so the people that they know can protect them the most and love them the most, they never let get close enough. Cause they feel like, man, if they really know who I am, they're going to leave me and it's going to hurt me again. So let me hurt them before they hurt me. Right. They don't even know they're doing it. And so I have no ill will. I, I still, I, I, my, my ex-wife, I, I, we, we pray for her. We, we, we love her. Times are very difficult in, at times with that. Um, but at the end of the day, um, most of her um, heart, heart troubles aren't her fault. You know, yeah. um, as adults, we obviously, we got to own our mistakes. But when you take that heart and that struggle at the house and then I'm in the middle of the best career, best year of my career in 2009. I'd left the Patriots after four years, walked into what was the most talented team in the league in the Saints. And we were absolutely dominating everyone. And um, we were in Miami week seven. We were six and oh, um, I had. Were three, you a starting fullback at that I point? I was, you know, I had, um, uh, I had three touchdowns already that year. I was uh, um, playing exceptionally well in every area of the game, receiving, running, blocking, um, leadership position. And our team was, we were unstoppable. We could throw on anybody, we could run on anybody, and we would just inflict our will upon you. And all you had to do was sit back and like it because we were that good. Um, and so um, mid-season all pro, and then boom, the knee's gone. And I have to sit and watch that from the sideline. And so you can imagine as a young Christian man, you why God, all the, the, the why me self-pity thoughts. And so um, the internal struggles at the house, the internal struggles with even in my faith of like the timing. And um, I just got, I, I got unknowingly um, focused on me. And then when you get focused on me, it, it's all self-pity. And then bitterness sets in really, really quick if anger is not dealt with. And, um, and so, um, that just led to really about a, a five month spiral out of control, um, lifestyle for me, uh, really when I moved out here and took the job with NFL network. Um, but by the grace of God, I had the ability to kind of confess all that to the ex-wife. Um, and we worked things out for a while and then, um, it was just, it was, it was too hard for her to, uh, to stay with me. And so, um, how, did, how did you get out of it? Like, like, how did you get out of that funk? Um, was there a, a, like a train of thought? Did you, I was, I was laying on the floor of my home here in Pacific. Palisades. I was just going to ask, did you, did you and have like a rock bottom it, moment? Like an I, all is lost I, moment. And, and I, listen, I, I, I tell people all the time, like I have no clue how I, um, it was, it was, it was, I've always given full credit to the Lord. I'm like how I got up off that ground, um, and went and confessed, um, all, all my crap to my ex-wife was not a Heath moment. It was literally a supernatural. I, I hated who I had become and I had been a, a good man of character. I'd been a great husband. Um, I've always been a great father and I don't say that with pride. I just, I, I, there's never been a, a moment of, of, um, anything where I would not sacrifice for, for my daughters, anything. And, um, um, but I, it wasn't that look in the mirror moment. It was just a, 
man, how did I get here? And now I'm the, I'm the hypocrite that the Bible talks about that literally God wants nothing to do with, you know, you know, um, and I, um, literally just cried out for mercy. I'm oh like, God has helped me, help me clean this mess up. And somehow I walked into our master suite and our master bathroom and just started pouring it on her. And it was a devastating moment for her, you know, cause I was the man that would never hurt her. I was the man that would never lie to her. And now you became like kind of the, yeah. and the, and her worst nightmare. Absolutely. Her, all her biggest fears had come true. And she married me because I was the opposite of that. You know, I was the protector. I was the defender. Um, and, um, I would always die to self for the betterment of the people I love. And you got, that's the thing about anger and unforgiveness is it leads to bitterness and bitterness doesn't just corrupt us. It corrupts everyone that we love. And it, I don't know how that poison, like my dad always said, you know, um, bitterness is an acid that eats its own container. So, and you also know, like you set that Coke can down with acid, like it's going to eat through the can, but then it's going to eat through the wood it's touching. And then it's like, if it, if it, if there's enough in it, it's going to spill out to everything around it. And, um, that, that became me. And, um, you know, I was able to, um, fight to make that right. Couldn't, couldn't save the marriage. Um, but, um, it's part of my story. And I also think that, um, anyone that's ever been married can relate to the heart pain that I had. And, yeah. can, and a lot of people, a lot of women listening, and a lot of men listening, more, more men that, that, that need the message of, man, if you were sexually abused, um, Men, what you feel in your heart is, is not is not your fault, and there is help for you, and there is healing, and um, there's a lot of great ministries out there that can uh, usher people into um, the hope that they need. Because the the worst thing about sexual abuse is um, the predator is done victimizing the victim, and the victim ultimately becomes the predator. Um, sometimes, in the actual sense of hurting other people through sexual abuse, especially in the male population. Most women that don't get the help end up leading a very sexually promiscuous lifestyle. Um, but both categories, um, when, when those heart wounds aren't dealt with the unforgiveness, they're basically being predatorial to themselves. The anger, it's hurting themselves. The resentment, all those things that lead to then the antidepressants and then the alcohol and then whatever it is trying to mask that pain. Yeah. And ultimately it's not their fault. Um, and it's a, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Don't ever screw up and let me be president. Cause I'll just, with sexual predators, we're just going to string them up in New York and we're going to torture them and we're going to get rid of them all. And I know that just offended a lot of people, but what people do to kids and our country lets them get away with is it's, it's ruining generations. And I, I hate it and uh, it is what it is. So I don't apologize for, uh, apologize for it. But uh, anyone listening to my voice, um, you're not alone. You know, um, the statistics are mind boggling. You know, one out of three girls before the age of 16, one out of four boys, you know, before the age of 18, you're really? not, you're not alone people, you know, and it's no longer just groping. This is molestation or rape. Yeah. And, um, and that's what I've heard. It's just people yeah. that, that I've heard on podcasts recently talk about the shame of it, that, yeah. that, that, you know, they, they are molested and then they are feel shame. They internalize they, it. Not, and it's not even about the act that it's about the, um, that they let someone do this because yeah. they're a young kid right. and they, they were not strong enough to, you know, to stand up to the person who they knew something felt wrong and they, and then they feel shame, but they were only 
six yeah. or seven and the person was, yeah. you know, whatever, a grown man or woman. Or, yeah, absolutely. Seen it time and time again. Boy, that got heavy quick, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, um, but, um, well, well, so, you know, I would say, I always ask people, like, what, what's your what's your superpower? And in a way, you started the conversation talking about when you were four and your dad's lawyer said, what are you going to do? And and I think that's kind of a, that's one of those like superpower things where it's in your DNA yeah. that somebody says, no, you can't do this. And you are just hell bent on proving them wrong. Yeah. And it was, it's funny the other day after we talked, I started thinking about like, what is like this story? Like, what is the so-called Heath Evans story? Bedros calls it, you know, your hero story. Definitely don't think of myself as a hero, but at four years old, you know, that kind of first line of rejection and then having to be the only kid out running around in a trash bag. Cause I was kind of chubby and fat, you know, kind of isolated by myself, but I turned it into, okay, I'm just going to work harder and I can be proud of myself. Cause I'm having to do someone to do something that no one else is, you know? And then, you know, I only got two games on JV my freshman year. I wanted to stay there and dominate. Then I go to throw up to varsity. Well, I'm still dominating, but everyone hates me. And they mostly hated me, not because I was dominating, but because in practice, I'd never let anybody win a sprint. I was never going to let someone outwork me. And so, you know, they'd be slow down. Why are you trying to make us look bad? I'm like, I ain't trying to make you look bad. Like you guys just need to keep up. Do you, I'm going to do me, you know? Yeah. And then, um, you get to, you get to college. Um, well, even, even my, my senior year, uh, I was committed to Florida state, grew up bleeding garnet and gold there in South Florida. And, um, what brought you to Auburn? Well, he, yeah, this is the deal. So like two weeks before signing day, I wasn't the party kid. I was the kid always, I'd get in trouble for working out too much and overtraining. And I was playing basketball when you normally go on all your recruiting trips. Um, and so I didn't want to leave my basketball team out to drive by going on these recruiting trips Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. So I wasn't, I'm like, I'm going to Florida State. I don't need to go on these party trips. You ain't taking me to a strip club and I'm not drinking. Like, so what, what there's nothing to go for. Two weeks before signing day, Mark Richt, who is now the head coach of Miami, was the offensive coordinator for Florida State, sits in my my family's living room and says, hey, you know, they're going to put you at linebacker. And oh, yeah, they, they want you to walk on. Now, my dad's a custom home builder. We had this big, gorgeous house. They probably just assumed that I was so hell bent on going to Florida State that my parents would pay for it. And I was just so committed. I was like, screw that. I wanted to be wanted, you know. And they had another fullback that had made them commit to not recruiting another fullback. The kid barely had 1,100 yards rushing, didn't play defense. I had 2,300 yards rushing. I had 44 touchdowns, had 150 plus tackles. I punted, I kicked off, I, I did everything, never came off the field. And I'm like, you guys want this guy over me? Good luck with that. So I took off to Syracuse. It was way too cold, not going there. And then Auburn, uh, it was, you know, Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Terry Bowden was the coach at Auburn at the time. And so, you know, the son was, hey, we'll take you, Heath. We'd love to have you. And they, they, did all the right things. They did, basically told me everything I couldn't be, but why don't you come here and prove us wrong? I mean, they, they recruited me to the T like, <laughs> nah, we don't think you can do this, but you know, well, you can do be a great fullback. You can't do this, but you know, come here and prove us wrong. I'm like, okay, done. Um, and so dominated my freshman year there at Auburn, uh, coach Bowden gets fired. Tommy Tupperville comes in my freshman year. I'd gone to old miss where Tommy Tupperville was the coach. Um, basically beat him single-handedly. Um, Tupperville comes into Auburn is now our new head coach. I'm no longer good enough to play running back, apparently, even though my freshman year in the SEC, I was 230 pounds, Matt. He moved me to defensive tackle in the SEC. 
So I was lined up on defense, not offense for one, and not linebacker or, you know, some position that my size actually fit the position. He put me at D tackle playing against 320 pound offensive linemen at 232 pounds, just getting ragdolled and destroyed. Wait, were you starting? No, he, he was like, he, so he just wanted he, to just, he, he just like, you. yeah, you're, 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 you're not this, you're not good enough, whatever. Well, by the grace of God, by the alumni griping and complaining, finally, at the end of my sophomore year with three games left, we're at Arkansas. We're down 31 to nothing. He basically tosses me a ball on the sideline and says, go go show these alumni what you can't do. All right. I'm like, all right. So um, the fourth quarter later, at about 70 or 80 yards and a touchdown later, they have to start me at tailback the rest of the year. Um, we beat uh, top 10 ranked UCF with Dante Culpepper. We go to Georgia between the hedges, top five ranked team, beat them. Um, and then Sean Alexander's senior year at Alabama, we were up uh, 17-3 at halftime. I got to touch the ball twice in the second half and they came back and beat us. And so uh, we can go on about the rejection and always being overlooked. I was the first fullback drafted despite all that crap that happened at Auburn. Um, in the 01 draft, but even my first four years in the league, um, you know, I was an athletic guy. I, I was running and catching, you play special teams. I was kind of more like a one back set, Mike Allstott type guy. And when I got drafted to Seattle, it was like, Hey, you're going to come in you're going to do all this stuff. We'll teach you how to block. We know you've never really played a true fullback position at Auburn. We got you. Day one, I got there. We had a 10 year veteran named Max Strong. They're like, you're not going to see the field until you're a better blocker than him. I'm like, well, crap, he's been doing this for 10 years and I'm not even good at that stuff. So constant rejection, rejection, rejection. But, um, and listen, there was some, I'm, I'm kind of like glossing over those low days, but you can imagine this was my dream since I was four and I had sacrificed every, not everything, not a lot of girlfriends. You ask anybody, I never partied once at Auburn. Um, it was, it was focused on the dream period, the end, knowing that hard work works and I, I'll find a way to make it happen. Got to Bill Belichick in 2005. Um, I actually went to the Dolphins first, the start of the 2005 season, Nick Saban, Six weeks into the season, now you're no good. We don't want you. He cuts me. Bill Belichick, fresh off three Super Bowl rings. We want you. Come up here. He sets me free. Literally gets in my mind is, hey, like, why are you trying to do all this stuff? I'm like, well, that's what Nick Saban wanted. That's what Mike Holmgren wanted. That's dumb. That's not who you are. I want you to be this. And then I got better and better and better. And I was either the best or one of the best fullbacks in the league my last six years. And the rest is history. So, so okay, that that's really interesting to me to hear like this recurring thing of like all, it seems like all of these coaches almost like torpedoed you. But then that, <laughs> that but then that I have to ask because I'm interviewing. So somebody listening is yeah. going to be asking as well, what did you do? Did you like, you don't seem like you have a bad attitude. You don't seem like, you know, but was there something like in retrospect, if you had to, if you had to go back right now and you're like, all right, I'm going to be an outside eye. I'm going to look at this guy, Heath Evans. I'm going to watch him. Did he do something to sabotage himself? Did he do something to antagonize the coach? Like what, what was it? Because it's, because it's odd to me that the, that's like, that's several different coaches and situations putting you like a square peg in a a round hole. So what what do you think it was? Or was it just bad luck and nobody but Belichick could see what your real talent was? Yeah. I don't really believe in luck. I believe that there's kind of a destiny for all of us. I, I honestly believe a lot of people's, so-called passion is their poison or their prison that they've kind of like trapped themselves in trying to be something they were never built or made to be. You know, everybody wants to be a leader. Dude, leadership is tough. You kidding me? Like, I don't know a lot of leaders that aren't in emotional pain every day because it's constant torture from, and the bigger the company, the bigger the organization, like this ain't built for everybody. There's only one Tom Brady. You know, there's only one Bill Belichick for, for a reason because they're gifted. Um, I would say this, if you talk to most of those coaches today, um, 
they would probably just say, Mike Holmgren would say, well, we, we needed a better blocker. Well, then you should have drafted someone else because I had never really blocked a day in my life at Auburn. I was kind of the tailback, big, big back. Um, call it reverse racism. Don't not too many people want a big white tailback, you know, um, Bill would always tell you, I don't care what it looks like. Your four and a half yards is just as pretty as someone else's, you know, 4.2 that had a spin move and a juke, whatever. I mean, matter of fact, Bill would get mad at me. He'd call me, Hey, Gail Sayers, I don't want to see this juke. And you're here for your power. Run these people over with a bunch of choice words, you know? Um, but, um, I, I, listen, I'm always willing to like self-reflect, but it it just, uh, people thought I wasn't good enough. You know, but yeah. I mean, even when Tommy Tupperville came in to Auburn my sophomore year, you know, um, they came to me day one. They had recruited me in college out of out of high school and I had turned them down because I didn't want to go to Ole Miss. Um, but, you know, they asked me to go from 245 to 230. I, I did it. I, I shred 15 pounds of muscle in uh, about two months because I wanted to please the coaches, you know, and you, it's hard to lose 15 pounds of muscle when you're 19 years old. Yeah. Um, and I led the team in spring football and yards per carry. Even the the scrimmages in two days leading up to the season, I was our best tailback. They just didn't like what I. That's not what they wanted, you know. And so it's it's. it's I ask you because yeah. I'm I'm also I'm thinking you know I filter everything because I'm a yeah. selfish bastard. I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm filtering it all through my own experiences as an actor, and I I feel like a lot of times I've been miscast. Like some people have asked me, I've said I feel like I have a career of being miscast, and then like once in a while yeah. I have something that's a real fit. And I, and I feel like I can, I can shine and you just go, well, what is, and I'm constantly going, well, what are you doing, Matt? That's not, why is that? What are you, what's your part in this? You're the only, you're the only factor that's constant through all of these yeah. different equations. So, so is it something you're doing or are people not seeing it? And then as of late, I feel like people have seen it more and I've had better opportunities. Like it sounds like you had with Belichick, yeah. but that, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. It's not like I'm, I'm going like, Oh, what did you do wrong? I'm just going, it's, it's curious to me yeah. to hear like, you know, this guy that's performing, this guy that beat up on old miss and then the old miss coach comes and it's like, did he just shoot himself in the foot to, to, to prove you wrong because you yeah. beat him up the year before? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And I this mean, is where I, I'm going to keep it simple, stupid, it, but I'm also going to go back to my, my belief that, you know, in the Christian faith, we call it the sovereignty of God, that there's like this destiny and, and, it, and it's literally kind of set up for us and we can faith it out or we can quit and punk it out and whine and complain and, and just miss the mark and, and miss my favorite verse is Jeremiah 29, 11 it talks about God having a plan for me and you, Matt, and it's planned to, to prosper us. It's not to harm us. It's to give us a hope and a future. He ain't going to make it easy because that ain't what's best for you. Like, do I, do I want the captain of the ship that's never sailed through a storm? Heck no. I want the guy that's that's flipped a couple ships, that's lost engine, that's yeah. lost power. I want the guy that's that's overcome it all, you know? Um, but more importantly, um, I believe we suffer these things so we can comfort others. Totally and, and, agree. And I and I like just the other day at church, man, I've got a young man, um, wife's a sexual abuse victim, and just beat down, rejected. Is about to is, is it was about about to walk out on, on his wife and two kids because he 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 looked at I'm not good enough everything I try I, I can't do you know and I was able to sit down with him and from my because 12, you've been there my 12 plus years yeah all my pain Matthew it came it came full circle and I'm like God that's what, that's what you talk about like I had to walk through it but just to see this guy's face man like I get the chills under this sweatshirt that I had to cover up my biceps because you're on <laughs> but but, but it, it's like. 
I know it sounds <laughs> sick, but it was all worth it. Like, obviously, I wish I would I would wish I would have done things different. You know, like, of course, I would have loved to save the marriage years ago. But but even that, like, I, I get to I get to love on hearts that that very few people can. You know, a because I'm willing to say I'm a screw up and yeah. I messed I messed up. Judge me if you want, but my God doesn't judge me, so we're good. Yeah. Um, and then I get to pour out that love on people. There's a whole bunch of football players every year that have dreamed since they were four two that just get their draft pick, just get their shot, you know, and, and I get to in, encourage them in a lot of ways. You know, you, the name of this podcast, like those are, it's 10,000 blessings. Yeah. Like, well, that, well, that I was just getting, you know, I don't want to take it, take it, but, but last week, um, so that's a whole other conversation we can't get into right now, but you and I will talk about this, but on my faith and growing up Roman Catholic, kind of going away from the church and then recently coming back. And I've been going to this, this place, uh, that's non-denominational Christian. And there's this guy who was like another dad on my son's basketball team. And he's the pastor. We sat next to each other. Anyway, long story short, he's ridiculously amazing. So I've been going to his church and, and it's like having, a, it's like a, a college lecture slash like <laughs> motivational speech slash like, you know, Bible study slash, yeah. you know, it gets me emotional. And last week it was all about this. It was his whole thing. There's been like a series on joy and it was all about like that you, these trials that you go through are really tough when yeah. you're in them, but you need them in order to have the gifts to do what your life's work is. And I was thinking about 10,000 no's and I'm going, here I am. I would get hit up by young actors who go, Oh, what's it like to be a professional actor? And, and, and I would always say, that's where this title came from. I would say, basically I'm told no for a living. And then I feel like, you you know, I'm sure there are people out there that go, Oh, Del Negro's totally lucky. Look at him. He's not that good. And he's, you know, he's, he's really, he makes a living doing this. (laughs) See, you know what the haters are like. Now you know it's like, but, but from my perspective, I feel like I, you know, it's just like been hammered down for, for two decades. The beauty is that a couple of years ago, I decided, Hey, I'm going to take this pain that I'm usually when people ask, you know, the people say, how's it going? If it's not going well, that's the weird thing about what you do and what I do is that it's it's front and center. It's public. Yeah. So every time you go to a wedding, every time you go somewhere that you haven't been in a while, people, how's it going? Yeah. And if it's if you got something good on the air, that's cool. Right. If you don't, you're like, huh, you know, yeah. and now and we're constantly lying. Yeah, you're, great. Yeah, you're lying or you're, or you're just like trying to avoid it or right. you don't want to go there. And what this has provided me with this as therapy and it's provided the people that listen is it's going like, hey, I I walked through the fire. So now me and all these other people, Heath Evans, Bedros Koulian, whoever else has been on, have walked through the fire too. And now you guys can listen to it and realize, yeah, it it is terrible right now if you're in the middle of it. Yeah. But everybody's been there. And and like you can't get anywhere if you don't go through that. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I mean, I, that's what I was thinking when you talked about the um, that your knee blew out. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's like, a lot of this stuff that happens in life, I always think, man, if that were in a script, I'd be like, that's that's too on the nose. Like he's <laughs> right. in the, he's with the Saints. He's finally with like the team that's dominating. They're going to go yeah. to the Super Bowl, and he bl- he's he's having a ridiculous year, and he blows his knee out. Now yeah. it just seems too on the nose. Why don't we just do it a little differently if we're yeah. making the movie? But I I also think like God throws stuff at you. There's a reason that led to you getting selfish, led to you going out of control, led yeah. to you confronting with your wife, yep. it led to that blowing up, led to you being here. Absolutely. You know, it's like yeah. the, the, the domino effects. Yeah. I mean, and, and what I always try to encourage people with it, and, and these are sometimes like, you know, my, my new life motivation 
is, is I, I want to be loving and truthful in everything that I do. And then that, that love and truth that I present through, um, some are my opinions. Yes. But, but I, I think they're all factually based if I'm going to stand on them, but, but I want to be kind and I want to be full of integrity. I, I want the kindness and the integrity to keep me in a position of trust where people, even if I have a loving, truthful message, that's hard for them to hear five years, five months, eight years, 10 years from now, they'll look at a life and be like, man, he's been through a lot, you know, cheated on his wife. Got, got got accused of, of sexual harassment. The NFL fired him, this whole thing. So I heard his side of the story, but who knows, whatever. But man, his life, like there's that, there's something different about him that I can trust that loving, truthful message. And what I would say is too many people have too much pride after the first or the second no, and they're constantly looking to blame. Go back to Auburn. Everyone's like, oh, are you going to transfer when I got benched? I never once thought about transferring. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I'm gonna find a way. Now I had a faith backing that's like, just just trust God. Like this is gonna this is gonna work out. And and I don't want to belittle that because on my darkest days, it, it is it's the cornerstone that I run to. And people call it a crutch, but what, whatever. We all need a crutch. And in my opinion, <laughs> his name's Jesus, and he promises to get us out of all the messes that we've made. Period. The end. Um, but that. One of my, I say favorite verses, but it's it's honestly one of those rough verses in James chapter four. It talks about like God saying, "My grace, I've got dump truck loads for you. It'll never run out." But I oppose the proud, but I've got all this grace for the humble. So how humbling is it? The no, the no, the no, and then not to blame. Oh, that that was the producer. Oh, that was that, or my counterpart that I was in the 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 um, audition with. They screwed it up. Like everyone wants to blame everyone. Yeah. Like sometimes you don't need to blame yourself, but what good is it going to do to blame anybody else? Like just move on. And the, the real grit of it is like, if you don't move on, you didn't want it bad enough. And then, so don't, don't play games with me talking about, I want it, I want it, I want it, but then I'm going to give you advice to go do it. And you're not willing to do it. People will tell you, I don't play baseball. Like if I'm training kids, you don't get three strikes. You get one. If you ever quit one of my workouts or one of my running drills, you are never welcome back. Thank God Jesus ain't like that. Um, but, but, but I just don't, when I'm in my moment, when I'm in, like I was providing for my family. So if I'm going to give you free time, I'm going to let you come train with me as a high school kid, a college kid, whatever. Like I'm giving you all the information from Bill Belichick, Sean, you know, Peyton, Michael, all the greats, you know, the least you can do is not quit. You don't have to make your time, but if you quit, you're done. You know? And so too many people quit. They never wanted it. And that's why I say so many people are fighting for a position. They think their passion is, is, is this because they want what you have. They want this house in the Palisades. They want the beautiful wife. They want the gorgeous golden retriever. They want the TV. A, they don't understand what it took to get here. Um, but, but more importantly, most of them aren't humble enough to at least sit back and say, Hey, what do, what do I need to do? You know? And, and that's the, that's the key. I think. Oh man, I'm always (laughs) going like, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of the, first of all, sitting down with guys like you, um, women that are, you know, I say guys, but yeah. women, men, people that I think are, you know, have done so much more Superstars. than I've done. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's humbling to sit down with everybody and, and just not go, me. I was, I well, not you. I you're not that impressive. I know. Fullbacks. <laughs> Nobody needs them until you need to win a Super Bowl. That's why I had you on just to stroke my own ego. <laughs> right. Like I really did a lot compared to you. Um, no, the, the but, but you know, 
I, I, I'm sitting down there. And then also I, when I work out, I listen to these, uh, you know, Eric Thomas. Yeah. The, yeah. So I listen to him and that's like led me down a whole rabbit hole of YouTube, like channels that are all these like motivational speeches and all this. And, and every, every single one, it's like, whether you're listening to Will Smith or you're listening to Eric Thomas, or you're listening to Denzel Washington, whoever it may be. Oh, Denzel. Yeah, Denzel, he's, he's got a great speech. That's, yeah. It's every one of them. I'm like, God, I got to do more. Like, that's what I walk away with. I'm mm. like, you shouldn't be complaining. You should be thanking God for where you are. Like, cause you got to work that much harder. You got to be that much better. You're not that talented. You're not yeah. that, you know, and, and that's, I don't know if that's in my DNA. I don't know if that was coaches and my parents or, or what, or if it's a combo, but I always feel like when I hear someone get too cocky, I'm like, Oh, you, you are going to get like, you got to go work your yeah. your ass off because anybody that I know that's way up there, they are working like like nobody's business, and they've all been beat down. You know, I yeah. was with Eric Anderson, uh, the owner of Top Golf, now a five billion dollar company in Seattle, last week, asking for help. Hey, how do I do this? I got I got canned from the NFL Network unfairly. I've got to go build Career Three. I'm really good at X, Y, and Z. How do I make this a business? You're the best man I know when it comes to this. You've built businesses out of Italian uh, restaurants to burger restaurants to Top Golf, the coolest thing in the world. Um, how? How do, teach me? You know. But he was beat down multiple times yeah. from business partners, confidants, people, ex-wives, all, all the same stuff. But a, he didn't let all that stuff make him bitter. You know, made him better. Give you the cheesy line. Yeah. But at the end of the day. Like it's the failures that make the successes so sweet. It's just most of the time we get so caught up in the failure and the and the pointing the fingers and the justifications of why we failed that we never get to where we were meant to go. You know, yeah. and so um, I just think humility, humility, humility. That is like if there's an under like an overarching principle. Like I, I, there's a lot of arrogant people that make it high, but I also believe there's the ones that don't put their head on a pillow at night and sleep very sweetly. And, and I ultimately probably, if you pull back the veil of the life, um, marriages are, are, I mean, you're married. Like if you're an arrogant jerk, that home ain't happy. It ain't peaceful. You know, the kids see it, then they're resenting dad. And like, it, it just, the, the, um, you know, our sins find us out one way or another, kind of the, the way, the easy way to put it, you know what I mean? And so, and I'm the chief of sinners and a lot of them have found me out. So I thank God for some grace and mercy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you a couple of questions and you did predict, right. By the way, I want everybody to know this before we sat down, I said, we are, uh, we're doing kind of shorter episodes these days, but I said, we're going <laughs> to let it roll and we may be, you know, splitting it into two episodes and we are, we are splitting into two episodes. So these questions will be the the end of the second, the part uh, two of the awesome. Heath Evans story, the I, Heath I, Evans hero journey. Yeah, no, thanks to Bedros. But the, the only reason I knew this was going to go two sessions, because like literally the first text conversation for you listeners at home or in your car or charging someone to work for them from <laughs> nine to five and listening to this podcast um, was straight fire banter. And I was like, literally, did we just become best friends? It was like, what's the Will Ferrell movie? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever brothers it is. Don't, yeah. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers don't. <laughs> that, that, is that's, that, that is, that's, uh, that that's was, uh, or is that? no, no, no. Um, oh my gosh. No, um, Chris, Chris Farley. In, oh, um, oh, right, right. Um, Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. The greatest movie ever. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that I couldn't remember the name to, but um, 
Well, what yeah, are you man. thinking of? Anyway, we'll get the Will Ferrell. <laughs> we'll put the Will Ferrell movie in the show notes. It, it's, uh, it's Step Brothers. <laughs> is it Step Brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. So, um, so okay. So, uh, complete this sentence, okay. and you've kind oh, of sheesh. answered this already. The word "no" actually means what? Hmm. If you're a champion, just wait. And, and, I, and I say, if you're a champion, because um, no can. Um, no can lead to depression. No can lead to anxiety. No can lead to anger and a lot of other things. Um, but no can also be self-reflective. Ask yourself the, the why of the no. And then see if you can validate it. Um, for me, I couldn't validate a lot of my no's. And so I just kept pressing. And... Um, Explain that to me. You couldn't validate well, a lot of the no's. I, listen, I, I, I was taught, I was in a home with, listen, you, 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 before you blame someone else, you need to blame, you need to look at yourself, you know? And there's all kinds of verses I could throw at you, not the need, but like, it's just the humility factor of like, am I, okay, am I not good enough? Now, in some cases, when my junior year at Auburn, we brought in a guy named Rudy Johnson. I backed him up. Rudy was a beast. 1,800 yards in the SEC, um, went to the NFL, had a great career. I would never be better than Rudy. I'm the first one to tell. So I backed him up and had three or 400 yards rushing, had a great junior year, and then left as a junior and was the first one, first fullback drafted. Um, my my time in New England, Corey Dillon gets hurt. Kevin Falk's hurt. Um, so Heath Evans gets thrown in a game down in the Miami Dolphins two weeks after they cut him. And I ball out at tailback and single-handedly, not single-handedly, we had a great team, but like have 100-plus all-purpose yards as a fullback and beat the team that just said I wasn't good enough two weeks ago. You know? Um but when Corey Dillon got healthy, he was way better than Heath Evans. And so, am I, oh, they overlooked me. I, I balled out versus the Dolphins, and then I killed the Saints. We did this. And why they start Corey? That's what most people do. Well, no, Corey was way better than me. Kevin Falk on third down, way better than me. But the next three years, I got to back up Kevin Falk on every third down situation. So I was this big old white boy out there getting to do a lot of cool stuff because I was willing to say, this is my role, and I'm going to fit here. And when it was with the Patriots, I was at my happiest when I was a fullback. I wasn't trying to be Tom Brady. How many actors do you know that think they're Denzel Washington? And they, they, they might just be the, the second character on a TV sitcom that gives them so much joy, but they think they're someone else because their pride is so in the way that they're not willing to say, who am I? And, and listen to people that are saying, hey, here's your niche. I lived in my niche for the next six years and had an absolute blast only because I was willing to self-reflect and say, I'm not the CEO. I'm not talented enough to lead this team. You know, all these players are better than me. And so, and then other times in college, I was like, I'm just getting a raw deal. And so, no, I'm not going to transfer because I'm not a freaking loser. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to prove them all wrong. And yeah, I had some bus rides to games my sophomore year. I cried my eyes out like a little baby. Matter of fact, on the bus ride to Arkansas that day where I finally got my break, I was like, God, I quit, man. I'm done. I, I just, I, I, this is too heavy. I put in too much work. And then that day when I kind of got to the end of myself and I'm like, all right, I'm, whatever you want, God, screw this crap. I'm done with this. There, there, lo and behold, it happens for me. You hmm. know? Um, so I think when, when we hit those no's, um, man, get out your pen and paper and, and self-reflect and just say, what part of the no did I deserve? Is this just a, is this a hurdle I got to jump? Um, or is there some truth that I can pivot off this and, and find my, my real passion? Because truth told, most people that want your position, 
they want what they think they see of you on TV and they want what they think they know of you from social media and what they think they know of your life. They don't know you still have fights with your wife. They, they don't know the heartaches that, that you struggle through. They, they don't know um, your inner knowings that, that make you wrestle with everything from God to, man, am I a good enough husband? Am I doing this thing right with the kids? Like all those things, because people aren't willing to settle back down and be like, what's the reality of the situation? And, and I just, um, it all starts with humility. Everything that I've learned about leadership, whether it's fatherhood, being a husband, being a, a fullback, um, if if you're not humble, you don't have a chance to be happy in this life. Definitely not peaceful. You might have moments of happiness because this world, there's a lot of things to be happy. But the peace that I get to lay my head on a pillow at night and go to sleep after being embarrassed in front of the whole world and accused of something that I would never dare do in a billion years, nobody gets to rob me of that peace. Nobody. Well put. It's also the longest answer to that question. <laughs> yes. I couldn't be Tom Brady, but I'll be the best long answer answer ever. <laughs> the word no actually means all of what he just said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. What is your go-to mantra when everything falls apart? And we kind of talked about it, but is there a phrase? Is there something that you go to in your head or a prayer or something? Hard work works. Hard work works. Yeah. Now, there's obviously, there's a whole bunch of people that want to work hard that, you know, that maybe they're working at the wrong things. I said, sometimes our passion is our, is our prison or our passion could be our poison. And it's literally all the no's. Like if, if this wasn't your giftedness, if you were trying to live some pipe dream in the acting world and you sucked and you weren't willing to listen to people, that's on you. And so your, your passion, yeah, you were passionate about it, but you were going to be trapped in a prison because you just, you sucked. You weren't going to be good. Right. That's obviously not the case with you. So we got to be willing to listen. But, but, but if, if, if you're willing to sacrifice it all and work hard, I promise you, the majority of people I played with, far more talented than me. Now, my coach, I had some, for the chubby white boy from Palm Beach, Florida, I, I had a lot of natural God-given ability, but I maximized it by hard work. Yeah, I wasn't naturally fast. I had the ability to be naturally fast and I had to tap into it, you know? Um, and so, and I had to be willing to listen to my dad, like, and mom, like, people... Choices, decisions, consequences. Do you want good consequences or do you do bad? You know, do you want do you do you you want to live and learn, um, or or do you want to listen and learn? Like, I, I, for the most part of my life, there's been a couple blips on the radar. I've been really good at listening and learning, because my mom and dad are, they've forgotten more about life than I'll ever than, than I'll ever know. You know, yeah. the, the the leadership people, you know. So I just somehow the humility factor allowed me to listen. You know, but. Hard work works. I like it. Undeniable. Last one. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene and what would the advice be? Oh, boy. Hmm. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go back too far. You know, I just turned 40. Um, but I'd, I'd go back to 32. Um, and I would be like, Heath, it's a season. I know you're feeling rejected. I know you feel like your career is uh, up in the air. I feel like, um, you know, you feel like God's let you down. You feel like you're owed stuff that you haven't been given. Trust the process. Stick to your roots. Stick to your favorite Bible verse, that Jeremiah 29, 11 that I quoted earlier about God having a plan for all of our lives. It's nothing special about Heath, nothing special about you. He just loves his people and he wants to bless us. Um, but we've got to be willing to to humbly say we, we need the help. Um, 
because those selfish decision-making um, that ultimately came out of just being hurt, physically hurt and emotionally hurt. And I had a lot of even <laughs> good godly people around me almost give me excuses for doing what I did. And I 86 those people out of my life really quick when, um, when I kind of got back to who I was. Cause I'm like, there's no, there's, there's no excuse for ever being selfish. Now we all are, but the moment you start tolerating natural human behavior, it's going to destroy you. And, 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 and people like Heath, you just get so serious all the time. That's the truth of things that like, sometimes love doesn't feel like the way we think love should. And sometimes truth really stings us. You know, I've had some men call me on crap in my life that hurt me. You know why it hurt me? Because it was true. And I had to self-reflect and be like, crap, I, I am that guy. I, I, I was the idolater. And then those moments where really my manhood grew. And it allowed me to be um, who I believe I'm becoming. But the moment we get stuck in those processes of not listening and not being willing to humble ourselves, man, it's, it's, um, we're on a downward spiral. And so I'd go back to 32 and just say, Hey, trust the process. You, you, this is, this too shall pass. And this is a a test in a season of life that is going to build you up into the destiny that you, that you were created to walk in. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Heath well, Evans, thank you so much for sitting down and for being so, open and honest. This was great. It was funny. It was, it, it was deep. It's uh, awesome, man. Thank I, you. I didn't even get to my Bill Belichick jokes. I mean, we got, we went no, crap, round three. We're going right? to have to die. As I said before, we're going to have to do a whole Heath yeah. Evans series. 20, uh, 2022 will be all Heath Evans, 12 oh months. You, you'd have, you've had one listener. My mom would be left and that's about it. You know what I mean? Uh, thank yeah. you, brother. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Okay. Just a note for those of you who were hoping we'd cover Heath's termination from the NFL network. He was willing to be an open book, but I knew that a legal fight was still playing out and thought it best to avoid that topic specifically for the time being. And perhaps we'll have Heath back in the future once that case has been settled. I'm not sure, but I love this conversation. As Heath said, maybe he offended some people along the way, but for me, his ability to just put his opinions out there is just so refreshing, especially these days where everyone seems to be so scared to voice opinions that lie outside the lines. And that's my first takeaway. Number one, if you're going to say it like it is to others, you need to say it like it is to yourself too. And that's why I respect Heath. He called himself out at one point saying... It wasn't that look in the mirror moment. It was just a, man, how did I get here? And now I'm the hypocrite that the Bible talks about that literally God wants nothing to do with. Those are deep words and courageous words. And I think that's why he's poised to have a second shot and keep making a positive impact. Number two, can't have a conversation that includes one of the best players and one of the best coaches in the league and not heed their wisdom. Heath's reference to Bill Belichick's leadership, he said, the leaders are the ones that need to lead by serving others. Repeated theme on this show, service. And to hear Heath talk about Tom Brady's lack of ego and service of the greater good was inspiring. I made sure to relay that to my son who called Brady a cheater before the interview. Number three, again, backing up the 10,000 no's credo, Heath said, I believe we suffer these things so we can comfort others. And he also said, it all starts with humility. 
And this one is important for all of you who happen to be in the middle of any kind of struggle as you're listening. This too shall pass. And these things that are so close to snuffing you out, if you can remain steady, will be the very things you use to help others down the line. Okay, that is it, folks. Again, if you're enjoying 10,000 No's, please spread the word, social media, word of mouth, however you please, so others can benefit from these stories too. And please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast so you can get these episodes every week as they're released and encourage others to do the same. If you dug Heath, you may want to listen to my past episodes with Fit Body Bootcamp founder and CEO, Bedros Koulian, who introduced me to Heath, strength coach, Jay Faruja, whom I just spoke to in the beginning of the year about transformation, or a lot of similar themes about coaching and discipline and sacrifice from my conversation with Boston College women's lacrosse coach, Acacia Walker. We've been deliberating on which episode we want to give you next week, and as of this recording, it is still in flux, so follow me on social media to find out who's next. That's at Maddie Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. But most important, keep taking steps towards your goal, enjoy the ride, and thank you once again for joining us. We'll see you next Friday. Yeah.